Well, I know the scariest movies I've ever watched have to do with innocent people being stalked by a predator, and the innocent people don't know it. The skilled filmmaker will, first of all, introduce you to the victim, and you'll get to know them, and you'll get to like them. And then the filmmaker will introduce you to the perpetrator, and you'll know the perpetrator's awful intent. And you're sitting there in the theater, and you're watching, you're watching it come together. And you want to reach out, and you warn the people, the innocent people, that the predator that they perhaps don't know about or trust is there. But you know, of course, it's just a movie. But in the last 100 years of the advent of video, we've actually been able to see real-life tragedies play out in front of our faces. And we've seen those videos over and over and over. Many of you were around when 9-11 happened, and we still watch those videos. And you see the first tower in the airplane, and you realize that the people up in that building have no idea what's about to happen. They're doing their work, and yet only seconds away, that building is going to turn into a massive inferno. And you want to warn them. You want to reach out and warn them. For those of us who are a little older like myself, we've seen the films of President Kennedy and the motorcade in Dallas. I was 30 miles away in the second grade in Fort Worth when that happened. President Kennedy had been in my town. And how many times have I watched that footage of that dark blue Lincoln turn onto Elm Street there, and you want to reach out and warn the waving young president that up in the sixth floor of the Texas School Book Depository, there's a sniper. But then here's the thing. If somebody could have warned... President Kennedy or the people in the towers a year before, would they have listened? I mean, if you go back to September 11, 2000, if you'd warned the people in the Trade Center, they're terrorists, they're going to fly airplanes into the building someday, would they have listened? Would President Kennedy have listened if someone had warned him in 1962 about Lee Harvey Oswald? Truth of the matter is, President Kennedy was warned not to go to Dallas by his UN Secretary, Adlai Stevenson, who'd had a bad experience in Dallas a few weeks before. He warned President Kennedy not to go. But he felt for political reasons he needed to go. So that, that's the question that, that I, I think about. You know, when, when, when tragedy is about to happen, sometimes it's too late to warn someone because as you see that airplane closing in on the buildings, you can't get those people's attention. It's too late. And when you see the president waving and smiling as he's about to turn onto Elm Street there in Dallas, it's too late. But the bigger question is not would those people have listened. The bigger question is will you and I listen? Because the the thing about this series, I'm going to talk about the fact that Satan has a plan to blow up every one of our lives. But for many of us today, we don't see that happening. It doesn't seem on our horizon, so consequently, we may just hear this talk like any other talk, and some of us may drift out and just say, this talk is not for me. And yet the thing that's scary is when Satan begins the attack in your life to take you apart, it'll probably be too late to warn you. And so what I want to do in this series is bring you some cool stuff and good stuff and important stuff to help you know how to defeat Satan in your life. Let's make this a starting point. You have an enemy. You personally have an enemy. Now, I love everybody. In fact, Mary Alice will will kid me sometimes and tell me you love too many people. You know, you you like everybody and you see the best in everybody. And part of that personality is I don't want to believe I have an enemy in the world. And if I have an enemy, I'll do whatever I can do within my power and reasonable to make a friend. I just don't want to think that I have an enemy in the world, and you're probably, many of you are just like me, but there's no getting around the fact that you have an enemy. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Peter writes, this enemy of yours, that's personal, not the sort of enemy of mankind, but the enemy of yours roams around like a lion, a monster, seeking someone to seize and destroy. Now, it's those last words that stand out to me because here's the thing. This is what makes the thing different from daily temptations that we face. In all of our lives, Satan works to ruin our day. 
But I want us to understand that Satan has a strategic calculated plan to blow up your life and your marriage. And if, you're, if you have kids, your kids. So we want to talk about that. I mean, we want to talk about what Peter's talking about when he says Satan is walking around like a monster looking for people to seize and to devour. Well, second thing I would call your attention to is not only do you have an enemy, but this enemy has lots of trophies on his wall. And I'm talking to somebody here today, and he's like, this would never happen to me. Oh, he loves that. I'm telling you, he loves that right down to his wicked ankles. You know, it'll never happen to me. We started this series four years ago with the prequel called The Thing. And I told you in all three messages about a character in the Bible named David. Chances are you know David. He killed Goliath. He wrote most of the Psalms. He was the best king Israel ever had. And when Jesus came into our world, Jesus associated with him. He called himself the son of David. But if you know the story of David, you know that um, one day he, was, he had a free afternoon and he looked over the top of his palace and he saw his naked neighbor. You know, you know if you see your naked neighbor and you got a free afternoon, you, you got an issue in your hands. And David did. And unfortunately, David succumbed to temptation. He had an affair with a woman. She got pregnant. He tried to cover it up couldn't cover it up, wound up killing her husband to keep the truth from coming out. Now, here's the verse that caused me to come up with the title of our series, Then and Now. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 27, the Bible says, but the thing that David did displeased the Lord. Now, guys, I, I want to tell you something, and I hope I get this across in this message. You know, a lot of us are like, well, I'm afraid of the devil. Listen, trust me, your concern with the devil is not what he does to you, it's what he gets you to do to yourself. See, the thing about it is David did, uh, Satan did basically nothing to David other than lure him, and then David did all the damage to himself. So Satan's real damage is what he can get you to do to yourself, namely this. He wants to lure you to a place where God can't bless. See, the thing about it is God is a God of honesty and truth, and if I move myself to a place where God can't bless, it doesn't matter how much God loves me, he can't bless me because I'm in a place that he can't bless. So that's what Satan wants to do to you. And when David committed this awful sin, David didn't go to hell, but his life and his family sure went to you know what. Somebody will say this. Somebody will say, Mark, I don't know that I really believe in this real devil thing. You know, oh, if he loved the other one, he totally loves this. But there are people who will say, well, I just, you know, I, I really believe in a God, but this idea of a devil, that's sort of the invention of religion because I, you, you, know, you got your God, so you have to have an opposite and equal antithesis. Now, Satan, first of all, he may be opposite, but he's not equal. He's just a created angel that went rogue. And trust me, he's not, he's not God's equal. When God got ready to kick him out of heaven, he thumped him out. When God gets through with him, he'll clamp him down forever in the hell. And I'm looking forward to that day. I want to be watching that. You know, back when I was in my late 20s and early 30s, and I was pastoring in the 80s, you know, all kinds of Christian people got worried about devil worship. I mean, I had people in, in our church that came to me and said, Mark, don't you understand that out there in the West Coast, I mean, there's all these people like they're worshiping the devil and they're drinking blood and there's the goat head and 666 and pentagrams and all that stuff. You know, Satan must love that kind of junk. That's not Satan worship. I mean, it may, it may, may call your attention to it, but that's not Satan worship. I want you to listen to this. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 4, Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. See, when the, when the thing shows up in your life, it won't show up as a monster. It'll show up as a pet. In practical terms, it'll show up as an opportunity. Yeah, that's how he gets us. He shows up as an opportunity 
to do something or get something that we think is good for us. I mean, you think about our first parents, Adam and Eve. If Satan shows up in the Garden of Eden as a goat head drawing pentagrams in the ground, drinking blood, and you know, playing weird and wild music, and he shows up to Eve and says, Eve, let me just blow up your life, I don't think she's going to do it. But he shows up as an angel of light. What did Eve say? The Bible says she saw that the tree was good for food. And that's what Satan will do in every one of our lives. He'll, he'll show you something, and he'll come along as your advocate, as your friend, as your pet, and say, let me show you this opportunity. The terrifying part is that he shows up as your friend. I mean, in David's case, all he saw was a naked neighbor and a free afternoon. He didn't see his daughter being raped by one of his sons. As he stood on that rooftop that day and looked at his naked neighbor, he didn't see the funeral of one son murdered by another son. He didn't see himself running for his life because one son started a revolution and tried to kill him. He didn't see that son brutally slaughtered in that revolution. And most of all, as David stood on the rooftop of his house and saw the opportunity to spend an afternoon with a naked neighbor, he didn't see that he just spent the last good day of his life. David, the guy who wrote the Psalms, the guy that God loved. One of the things that I love to try to do here at New Spring is I want to introduce you to great Americans. And every February that we celebrate Black History Month, I love to read the poems of Paul Lawrence Dunbar. I don't know if you know who he is or not, Paul Lawrence Dunbar, great writer, great playwright, and great poet, died at the age of 33 from tuberculosis. But when I was a young man, I, was acquainted, I became acquainted with Paul Lawrence Dunbar's poem, The Debt. And many, many days I've thought about this, especially as I've gone through temptation. Here's what he wrote. This is the debt I pay just for one riotous day. Years of regret and grief, sorrow without relief. Slight was the thing I bought. Small was the debt, I thought. Small was the loan at best. God, the interest. And that's what happened to David. So somebody will say, well, Mark, I'm really getting depressed here. Are you telling me that I'm just future roadkill? Because Satan is out to get me. Let me show you one of the most important verses in the Bible that few people know. But you're going to know it now. And it's going to be big in your life. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. Look at this. So that we may not be taken advantage of by Satan. And that's where we want to be. We don't want him to blow up our life. We don't want him to blow up our marriage. We don't want him to blow up our families. We don't want him to blow up our careers. But he will if we get taken advantage of. Now look at this. So that we may not be taken advantage of by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his intentions. One translation says devices. I read this in Greek years and years ago when I was in college. The Greek word is just nous, N-O-U-S in English characters. It's just, that's the Greek word for thinking. So what the Bible says is if we know his thinking, then we won't be taken advantage of. Now what's cool about this is the Bible tells us that God's thinking is above our thinking. And consequently, it's not possible for us to understand the thinking of God. But notice that the Bible says we can know Satan's thinking. Because he's not God. He's screwed up. And his thought processes are wrong. I mean, let me give you some examples of how Satan thinks. And we learn this from the Bible. Satan thinks that you don't love God. He thinks nobody loves God. He thinks everybody is like him. He thinks that you only follow God because you plan to get something out of it. And he thinks you have a price. Satan believes everybody's got a price tag. That's some of Satan's thinking. And so consequently, Scripture says if we know his thinking, then we will recognize when the thing begins to navigate into our lives. And even though it may show up as a pet and an opportunity, we will see through it because we know Satan's thinking. 
In our series, Return of the Thing, we're going to look at four trophies on Satan's wall. We're going to look at four good people that Satan got. And we're going to go to school on them. And we're not going to make those mistakes. We're going to know and we're going to recognize and we're going to, by the grace of God, beat the devil. Well, today I want to talk to you in a message called The Stalker. Because today's talk is distinct from our series four years ago. When I talked to you about David, it was like, bam, it all hit in one afternoon. But today we're going to look at a character that it was very gradual. In fact, Satan stalked this guy long before he knew he was being stalked until it was too late. I want you to meet our character. He's from the book of Genesis, chapters, really basically chapters 13 through chapters 19. His name is Lot, and he started out well. Lot is the nephew of the hero Abraham. In fact, Judaism goes back to Abraham. Uh, Islam looks back upon Abraham and Christianity, considering what Paul wrote to us about Abraham being the father of the faithful. Christianity recognizes Abraham, of course. Abraham lived in a wicked place called Ur, and basically God said to him, I can't lead you to your destiny staying in this place. So God said to Abraham, I want you to leave, and I'm going to just, just, just go where I send you. And so Abraham dropped everything, and the Bible says that he took his nephew with him. See, Lot's daddy, who was Abraham's brother, had died, and when that happened, Abraham brought Lot into his family and basically kind of adopted him. So I want you to realize that Lot started off in a good place. He started off with a leader who was a God follower. And scripture tells us this, that it all started out pretty well. The Bible says in Genesis 13 verse 5, Lot who was traveling with Abram had also become very wealthy. But we're beginning to get a clue. Lot's got a vulnerability. By the way, you do too. Do you know what it is? I promise you Satan does. Lot's got a vulnerability, and his vulnerability is money. You know, most of you are too young to remember this, because I don't think anybody does this today, but back when I was a kid growing up, there used to be something called the old wallet trick. And so what a person was do, would do if they were going to prank somebody is, you know, they would just drop a wallet on the sidewalk and then go around the corner. Now today, everybody, you know, if anybody pulled this trick, they'd be there with their iPhone, their smartphone, taking, taking pictures of it. But they just, they would drop a wallet on the ground. And so unsuspecting passers-by on the sidewalk would see a wallet on the ground and think, hmm, somebody may have dropped their wallet. And, and not specifically honest people who would look for the owner might think, wow, there's a wallet and uh, maybe something good is in there. So the person would walk to the wallet. Now, what the, what the victim didn't understand was that there was usually a, a little fishing line, long string of fishing line attached to that wallet, almost translucent. So when they would reach down to get the wallet, the person would pull the string. And then the wallet would be over here, and a person still wanting to get the wallet would walk over to the wallet, and, the, and the, the trickster would keep pulling the string, and it would always be a big joke about how a person could be lured into a strange place trying to pick up a wallet. By the way, whatever your vulnerability is, it works that way. Because the thing about it is, Satan usually works gradually in your life, and he's going to put something out there, whatever your vulnerability is, he's going to put something out there that you want. But it's not like he's going to put it out there ultimately where you're going to wind up. For instance, in some cases, it's a relationship. And it's like, well, you know, I just, I know this is not a good relationship. The guy's got some problems, but you know what? He makes me laugh and he's a good guy. And I think he's really good at heart. So you reach down to pick up that wallet and then Satan pulls it. And then you get a little bit further and a little further, a little further. And then some of you in a relationship right now, you can't believe where you are. But the old wallet didn't start out where it is today, did it? I mean, some of you 
are into porn and you started, you didn't start out there. It started out pretty light, started out, well, it really isn't as bad as a lot of stuff that a lot of people look at, but the wallet kept getting pulled. Now you're into such dark stuff, you can't believe where you are. That's just how it works. But with want, it's money. And we know now that he's wealthy. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at some scriptures with me, and, and you're going to understand that it happened in stages. I mean, Abraham and Lot are both getting very wealthy. They have cowboys that help manage their flocks. And in the process of time, the cowboys of Lot begin to quarrel with the cowboys of Abram. Now, I'm just telling you what I read in between the lines. I read in the lines that Lot was a little bit behind this because he's a younger guy. His uncle's been very good to him. If he's doing the right thing, he tells his cowboys straighten up. But he lets it go. And it finally gets so bad that Abraham has to do this. Look at this, verse 8. Abraham said to Lot, let's not allow this conflict to come between us, our herdsmen. After all, we're close relatives. The whole countryside is open to you. Take your choice of any section of the land you want, and we will separate. Wait a minute. Everything good in Lot's life has been because he is joined to Abraham. And Abraham is saying, you know what, we can't keep this up. Let's separate. Now, verse 10. Lot took a long look at the fertile plains of the Jordan Valley. The whole area was well watered everywhere. Lot chose, look at these next two words, for himself, the whole Jordan Valley. Lot moved his tents to a place near Sodom and settled among the cities of the plain. But the people of this area were, and in English it says, extremely wicked. It's like, when you read this in Hebrew, it's like every word for bad that can be mentioned and put in a long sentence is there. It's like the people there were bad, they were very bad, they were extremely bad. They did, in, they did bad things, intensely bad, vehemently bad. That's kind of how it reads in, in Hebrew. The Bible says that the people of the area were extremely wicked and they constantly sinned against the Lord. I've always believed a sermon is a, is a partnership. If I'm preaching, I bring the talk, but you bring a whole lot of it too. How you listen, how you respond, thought processes you have, why you listen. So let's work together for a moment. You just heard the same story I did. You know what Lot's problem is. What do you think is going on here? Think about that story. I mean, here's some of the things that I see. First of all, Lot is wealthy, but he's not content. And if he's not content, he's not thankful. And every one of us here today, everybody watching in the North Auditorium online, everybody watching here today, there's an invisible arrow over your head, either pointing up or down. If I could see that arrow, I could tell your future. And it all comes down to one thing. Are you thankful? If you're a thankful person, your trajectory is upward. If you're not a thankful person, you're headed down. Strange, isn't it? How one, one thing can be such a, such a marker, such a telltale thing. So Lon is wealthy. I mean, this is his opportunity to be thankful, to be content, to enjoy life. But he's looking at what's out there next that he doesn't have. The second thing that I noticed is that he forgot where his blessings came from. Lot's looking towards Sodom, and yet all the blessings he has has come from God. And here's a big one. Third thing I noticed is that Lot didn't ask advice from the person who had been the reason he was blessed. If 44 years of preaching, 40 years of pastoring have taught me anything, it's taught me this, that when a person begins to listen to good advice or counsel in her or his life, they're in deep trouble. 
In fact, I may be talking to somebody here, and you've been following Satan's wallet, and the people in your life are trying to tell you it isn't going to end well, and you don't want to hear their advice. I want to tell you something. The thing has already got its teeth in your neck. It may not have clamped its jaw yet, but you already got teeth marks in your neck. If you can't listen to the advice of people who are trying to keep you out of trouble, it's like trying to warn the people that the plane is headed into the building. It's almost too late now. Now, the last thing that I noticed about Lot, I have a, before I get to that, let me tell you, I have a great friend who's the best businessman I know, and he's taught me so much about business. And one day we were talking about people who don't make it. And you know, you know what I'm talking about. You, if you're in a company, if you own your own company, you know you, people get hired and they just don't make it. And I asked him one time, I said, what is the essential characteristic of somebody who's not going to make it? And he said, they can't connect the dots. And that's Lot. He's blessed. He's wealthy. He's been in this relationship with his uncle Abraham who has led him and taught him. And now he's looking towards Sodom and the people are extremely wicked. And you think about this. God said to Abram, you can't stay in Ur and live out your destiny. And yet Lot is now headed for a city that's way worse than Ur. He can't connect the dots. Do you know anybody like that? They can't connect the dots. You can. Everybody else can. People that love him, people that love her can, but for some reason they can't connect the dots. And they're building this narrative based on fantasy that's bizarre and unrealistic. Well, that's what I see. Now, here's the thing. If you've worked with me in this message, you can say, Mark, I'm kind of struggling with this a little bit. Lot here, he went with his uncle Abraham, chose to leave Ur, but now he's talking about going to Sodom, and he's got all these issues I don't see how a person like Lot could do something that crazy. See, that's the thing. Whenever the thing gets somebody, we always wonder, how did that happen? I was preaching in a... I'll make this... I'll try to keep this from being too transparent. I was preaching in a great church, very large church. And when I got through preaching, the pastor asked me, did you see, and he called the name of a man who I knew his name. He pastored, I think, one of the top five largest churches in America. I also knew he had blown up his marriage and had an affair, and he said, that guy is in the service. He said, he heard your message. Now, you have to understand, I've been watching this guy for years. This guy's my age, a little older than me. I mean, and you know, you're looking at this guy. He's had such a great reputation for being a great man of God and a great teacher. He pastored one of America's greatest churches. He was a communicator who had helped me. And yet he's out there in the service where I'm preaching as a disgraced leader. Now, I have to ask myself, how did that happen? It's not that he didn't know the Bible. I mean, he was a very good Bible teacher. It wasn't like he was suffering from lack of information. We have to wonder, how does this happen? Let me show you. All you have to do is to look at three verses that we're going to read together, and we're going to see a progression, or maybe we could call it a digression, and we're going to see how it happens. Read this with me. Genesis 13, 12. Lot moved his tents to a place near Sodom. Oh, Lot's like, I know these cities are really bad. I'm not going to really move to Sodom. I'm just going to live close to Sodom. I'm going to get close, but I'm not there. You know, if I need to go in and do business, I'll go in and do business, but I'm not, I'm not going to live in Sodom. I'm never going to live in Sodom. It's just a bad place with bad people. I'm never going to do that, but I'm going to get close. <laughs> Man, I've heard that one a few times. You know, 
There's nothing physical going on with her. She, you know, we just work together. And, you know, we just understand each other and we laugh all the time. And, yeah, we just kind of do some flirting and stuff. But it's nothing physical. Uh-huh. You got your tent near Sodom. Yeah, it's not really illegal. And, you know, if you look at it in one particular way, it's not really unethical. It's just very, very close to Sodom. Yeah, I mean, I'm like, I'm in, I'm in, in this entertainment. And yeah, it's got some, it's really got some bad minutes in it. But you know what? There's really some good stuff. By the way, I don't like, there may be good stuff in the trash can, but I don't like going through garbage to get it. You hear me? Christians who rationalize. Lot lived near Sodom. Look at the next verse. This is later. By the way, I need to give you the backstory. Lot got captured in his family when they lived in Sodom and get taken away, and Abraham has to come rescue him. I never understand when Christians get a warning call while they don't respond. Look at this. They captured Lot, Abraham's nephew, who lived in Sodom. Well, since we saw him last, something must have changed. Mrs. Lot said, hey, I've been on Zillow, and there's this great house. <laughs> there's this great house, five-bedroom house, four baths, three-car garage in Sodom. And, I mean, it's like a foreclosure, and we can get the deal of a lifetime. I know we said we would never live in Sodom, but this school district is really pretty good. And, you know, the kids would have opportunities. They would meet friends that they can't meet out here. So why don't we, you know what, we can, we'll, we'll. and they moved into Sodom. Let's read the next verse. This is Genesis chapter 19, verse 1. Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. It doesn't mean anything in our Western world. It just simply means he was on the city council. Near Sodom, in Sodom, city council. Let me ask you a question. These are extremely wicked people. The people of Sodom are so bad, God wiped out this city in a kind of a nuclear thing. How did Lot get to be on the city council? Well, the same way some of us work. You know, I'm Christian and private, you know. But, like, you know, if I really said what I believe, people would think I'm intolerant and I want to be inclusive. And, and so, consequently, I will just keep my faith beliefs to myself because I don't want anyone to think I don't fit in. Yeah. That's what Lot did. He had zero influence. All the influence was what happened from Sodom to Lot's family. But Lot had no influence. But he did get elected to the city council. Now, here's the thing. These three statements are not in the Bible, but I've just talked to so many thousands of people in similar situations. I know that Lot said three things. Whether he verbalized them or not, he said three things. The first thing he said is, I can handle this. <laughs> and I've heard a lot of people say that one with the thing with its teeth in their neck. I can handle this. Well, you're trying to tell them it's not going to end well, but yeah, but I can handle this. I mean, I'm sort of this exception. <laughs> The whole human race might have trouble here, but I can handle this. And here's the second one. This is the one that breaks my heart. It's not going to affect me. And the one that just really kills me is to have married people who are doing crazy things telling me it's not going to affect my kids. I've read studies, and my kids are going to be okay. You know what? In the old days, I would just sit in my chair and try to counsel people. These days, I'd get them on my feet and put, their, put my finger in their face. Because I want to argue for the kids who are not in the room to argue. Lot said, this is not going to affect me. I can live in Sodom. It's not going to affect me. It's not going to affect my wife. It's not going to affect my kids. And the third thing that clearly he had to say is, and this is a big one, I have to do this. And that's the thing. 
I have to do this. Listen, let me tell you something. All you have to do is live, die, and face God. That's all you have to do. But in Lot's mind, he rationalized that if I'm going to get ahead, I have to live in Sodom. But as we read the scriptures, we learned that if he'd been paying attention, he'd have seen what it was doing to his wife. And he would have seen what it was doing to his daughters. The monster is stalked Lot, and the monster is about to get him. But I want you to notice two things before we look at how it, how it all went down. The first thing I want you to notice is that Satan gave Lot what he thought he wanted. And that's the deal. I mean, Satan thinks you have a price. He will offer you whatever he thinks will meet your price. So at this point, Lot, Lot had money. He had prestige. He had a nice house in Sodom and a boat and, and a condo, you know, and Gomorrah. I mean, he just, he had, he had it all. Satan had given him what he thought he wanted. But the second thing is what I want you to notice. Notice that he, with his string pulling the wallet, had successfully navigated Lot into a place that God had to judge. See, God has to judge Sodom and the cities of the plain. And he has navigated Lot right into harm's way. Well, as we're going to read in just a few moments, Lot has no idea how, how far he's fallen. He knows he's not in a good place, but he has no idea what a bad place he's in. Let me give you a little backstory. Abraham is still living off in the wilderness. And one day, Abraham gets three visitors. One of the visitor, visitors is Jesus. The person we know of is Jesus. There's something in the Bible called Christophanies. It's a big theological term that just means a visual manifestation of pre-incarnate Christ. It's just Jesus showing up before Bethlehem. Like when the, the Hebrew guys are in the furnace and the fourth guy shows up, that's Jesus. It's a Christophany. So one of the guys is Jesus, two of them are angels. And so the, the one who is Jesus basically tells Abraham what's about to happen Sodom. And after a while, the two angels leave and the Lord stays with Abraham. Now, it's those two angels who leave who are headed down now to Sodom, and they get to Sodom, and they find Lot there. Actually, Lot sees them coming. And so Lot, I think he sort of recognizes a little bit about who they are, and he also knows what kind of jeopardy they're in in Sodom. And so Lot says to the angels, I want you to come stay at my house. And the angels say, no, we don't want to do that. We don't want to go in your house. We'll just stay out here on the street. Man, that gives me a sick feeling in the pit of my stomach. Lot is a God follower. I mean, later on, we're going to see the Bible calls him righteous Lot. And yet the angel is like, you know what? We really don't want to go in your house. That's their way of saying stuff is going on in your house. We just really don't want to be a part of. Can you believe that? Listen, I'm not trying to be hyper-spiritual here today, but let me just tell you something. I don't want anything in my house that makes the devil feel welcome. I don't want anything in my music. I don't want anything in my entertainment. I don't want any attitude. I don't want any anger. I don't want any unforgiveness or bitterness. I don't want anything in my house that makes the devil feel like he's welcome. I want everything in my house to basically throw the front door open to God that says, come on in, God, you have control. I want you in my house. But Lot has so blown up his life, the angel's like, you know what? We just we stay out in the street. And Lot knows in Sodom, that is not a good idea. And that's where we pick it up. But before they retired for the night, verse 4 of chapter 19, all the men of Sodom, young and old, came from all over the city and surrounded the house. They shouted to Lot, where are the men, those two angels, where are the men who came to spend the night with you? Bring them out to us so we can have sex with them. 
So Lot stepped outside to talk to them, shutting the door behind him. Please, my brothers. I mean, how do you call these guys brothers? Well, he's trying to be inclusive. So he begged, don't do such a wicked thing. Look, I have two virgin daughters. Let me bring them out to you, and you can do with them as you wish, but please leave these men alone, for they are my guests and under my protection. That sounds like an awful thing. I'm guessing Lot knew that he didn't want anything to do with his daughters. But let me tell you what really freaks me out here. When I look at the rest of this story, I'm not putting next week's lunch money on the fact that those two girls were virgins. I think Lot lost touch with his family. I may be talking to some dads here today. <laughs> you think your kids are in one place? That was 10 years ago. Stand back, they shouted. This fellow, and they're talking about Lot, came to town as an outsider, and now he's acting like our, work with me, judge. Isn't it interesting that when you try to advance God's viewpoints on things, it's like, well, you're judging. Don't judge me. Listen, guys, if God has already said it, he's judged. If I say what God says, I'm not judging. I'm just advancing his judgment. In fact, to say something is all right that God says is wrong is judging. For some crazy, insane reason, we live in a culture today that feels like if you say something is all right, that you're not judging. But saying something is all right, or some, just as much judging as saying something's wrong. And so these men who basically say, bring the two men out so we want to have sex with them, and a lot of saying, please don't do such a bad thing. And they're saying, you're judging us. And then they threaten Lot. In fact, this is I mean, basically what they're saying is, if you, you know what, we're going to rape you and we're going to treat you a lot worse than we're going to treat the angels. And thankfully, the angels pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. And it's really interesting when you read this. It's like the angels shined this like, bright light and blinded them all temporarily and they couldn't find the door. So the angels tell Lot, we are here to destroy the city. So if you've got married daughters and sons-in-law, you need to go tell them to get ready to get out of the city because in the morning we're going to destroy this place. And this is really tragic to me. Lot rushed out to tell his daughters, our translation says fiancés, but really it's husbands. Lot rushed out to tell his daughters, husbands, quick, get out of the city. The Lord is about to destroy it. But the young men thought he was only joking. Hey, hey pop's getting off a good one. <laughs> Evidently, Lot was a lot more into practical jokes than leading his family to follow God. He couldn't convince them. They thought he was just pulling a prank. At dawn the next morning, the angels became insistent. Hurry, they said to Lot, take your wife and your two daughters who are here. Get out right now or you'll be swept away in the destruction of the city. When Lot still hesitated, the angel seized his hand and the hands of his wife and two daughters and rushed them to safety outside the city, for the Lord was merciful. When they were safely outside the city, one of the angels ordered, run for your lives and don't look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Well, they're outside of the city, and the angels have said, don't, don't just book it, don't, just run, and don't look back. But as they begin to leave the city, Lot's wife was kind of like stepping back. I mean, her house is back there, her furniture, her clubs, her friends. Maybe it's not going to happen. I mean, these two crazy guys come into our house, start raving about God destroying the city. Lot's Sodom's got problems, but I don't, I mean, how do I know God's going to destroy the city? Left my house back there, left it unlocked. I mean, I don't know. And she walked back and looked back and actually wound up in the destruction zone. And the Bible says she was turned into a 
column of sulfur. It's really interesting because when Jesus was on the earth years later, he just simply said three words, remember Lot's wife. You know, closing out here, you know what really gets me? In the New Testament, the Bible calls Lot a righteous man. How could God call this man a righteous man? Well, to put it in modern terms, we would say Lot was a saved man. Do you know what? If you're going to heaven, you'll find Lot there someday. He blew up his life. I mean, he got, he got attacked by the thing. Gradually, he just got lured into a place God had to judge. But Lot's going to heaven. He put his faith in, in the God of Abraham. See, that's the thing. Some of you here today are God followers, and you love Jesus, but you could blow up your life if you fall victim to the thing. There was a story I didn't tell you, and I'm nervous about this a little bit because we may have kids here, so I'll try to keep this really, really euphemistic. At the end of Lot's life, he's living in a cave. He has no money, he has nothing. He's living in a cave, and he has his two daughters with him. And this is one of the reasons why I think that Lot's daughters weren't what he wasn't, they weren't where he thought they were. They said, you know what, we're not going to have any descendants. And so they kind of conspired and they said, let's get dad really, really drunk. Evidently, Lot had developed a taste for alcohol when he was in Sodom. Let's get him drunker than usual. Let's get him so drunk he didn't know what he's doing. And the Bible simply says Lot didn't know when his daughter came in and when she left. And the next daughter pulled the same thing. She got him really, really drunk. And the Bible says Lot didn't know when she came in and when she left. And he wound up fathering by incest two of the wickedest peoples that the world has ever seen. If you and I don't pay attention to what Satan is trying to do in our lives, even though you're a child of God and you're going to heaven, you can blow up your life. You know what scares me about Lot? I think he lost his family. I think about Lot's wife. She, got, she was invited to safety. She almost got to safety. But with the invitation right there, she decided, no, she was going to turn back. As I think about this, I wonder how many people have sat where you sit right now. And I've told you about Jesus and how God loves you and how that Jesus died for your sins to forgive you. And that if you would just simply put your confidence and trust in him and accept him as your Lord and Savior, that you could be forgiven and be free. And that's a gift that God offers. And every week just about I have a chance to pray with you. I wonder how many people have sat where you sit and heard the invitation and were that close to safety, but it's like, no, nah, I'm not really sure. I want to live that life and walk right back into the destruction zone. My invitation as I close out is twofold. If you're a Christ follower here today and you begin to slip, you begin to like move your tent towards Sodom, I want to encourage you, it's not too late. Pull that tent down and head back toward God. If you've stopped reading your Bible, if your church attendance is like just once a month instead of when you used to be really, really into God, you know, if, 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 if you're beginning to allow a relationship in your life that's causing you to cool off spiritually and your tent is close to Sodom, pull that tent down and move back today. Because if Lot had done that, his story would have been totally different. But if you're here today and you say, Mark, I'm not really sure that I've really walked across that line to accept God's free gift, please, as Jesus said, remember Lot's wife. And don't let that happen to you. 
I'm going to pray a prayer right now. If you're here and you say, Mark, I want to know that I'm forgiven. I want to know that I have a relationship with God. Let me ask you to join me in this prayer, and you can make this happen right now. You ready? Let's pray. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, but I believe you love me. I believe Jesus died to pay for my sins. I ask you to forgive me and make me God's child. Please come into my life. Wash my sins away. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, hey, I know it's a big crowd today, but wherever you are, North South Auditorium, if you'll go to guess, or to an, informa- an info center, any place on the campus, and all you got to do is say, I pray with Mark, they will give you a gift. It's got a Bible, same Bible I preach from. It's got a DVD I wrote uh, that we present and a book I wrote. It's free. It won't cost you anything. Help you take your first steps in following Jesus. Thank you for being here the first week of The Thing. We'll see you next weekend.